I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. Greetings, guys. This is Matt Dixon, and this is the Purple Patch Podcast. This week, hydration part two. We're going to get a little granular this week, but we're going to aim for context and some practical tips in training and daily life hydration. I would say right before we get into this, don't overworry about scribbling notes. We've created a special cheat sheet for you, and that's going to be available via the link in the program notes, and that's going to send you off to Purple Patch where you can grab all of Kyla's follow-up up on the topics around nutrition and hydration. But before we crack into the beers, in the name of hydration, I might add, let's get on with word of the week. We like the way he thinks, serious with the way. Let's open the book. It's time to take a peek. It's the dictionary word of the week. All right, the word of the week this week, adversity adversity. Why choose a word with such negative connotations? Well, the major reason is that in your pursuit of performance, this word will bubble up. It's inevitable. In fact, by way of an example, last week I got to head down to Cupertino to chat to the folks at Apple. Yes, Apple the company, those folks that create computers. And we discussed performance in context of health, work and life. And in making my case for the folks at Apple adopting an athletic mindset, I explained that when we get endurance training right and it's got integrated strength and conditioning but is supported with basic yet critical habits in nutrition and a backbone of recovery and sleep, every person we see accelerates, they improve, they thrive. But, and this is a but, it was really important to spend time providing a little context. Yes, it's proven it works across all levels, whether you're looking to on a quest to become a world champion or you're simply looking to integrate exercise into a very busy life, but it is a journey. And just like building a family or a business, performance evolution can never be achieved in a linear progression of improvement. There are plateaus and yes, adversity is inevitable. The key is how you adapt and manage the adversity that you will face. It's important not to view yourself as a failure, and in fact, it's critically important not to despair. Instead, you want to view adversity as a growth opportunity, and you need to seek ways to navigate and grow from it. When you're successful in getting past the adversity, you should move on, you should progress, but you have another experience in your toolbox that can lead to an improvement of another element of critical performance improvement, which is resilience. So you never want to seek adversity, but realize at the same time that it's inevitable and realize that it's a part of the fabric of every journey to performance. And that is why the word of the week this week is adversity. Now, before we get on to the meat and potatoes, I want to say a couple of things. First, don't forget the Fast Track Triathlete. These podcasts that we do are about bringing to life the learnings that come out from the book of the Fast Track Triathlete. But if you want to spend a deeper time, it's a great book for you and a great source. You can head to purplepatchfitness.com, grab the Fast Track Triathlete, and hey, I don't even mind desecrating it with my own signature. 
Also, if you like what you hear today, I recommend that you head down to the show notes because Kyla's created some great cheat sheets for you. If that's not enough, grab some time with Kyla. You can have an individual consultation. Again, just go to purplepatchfitness.com, head up to services, and you can book some time with Kyla. I'd recommend it. Kyla works with the broad range for many of the Purple Patch Pros all the way down to busy, time-starved people that are just looking to improve body composition and daily energy. Now, let's get cracking with the meat and potatoes. All right, guys, yes, it is the meat and potatoes, and this episode is part two in our series on hydration, fitting very nicely under the big pillar of nutrition. Now, let's go back. We've already done two episodes on nutrition. The first was me, myself, and I talking about the principles of fueling and nutrition, really through a coach's lens. And then part two, which was very popular, and we had a lot of great reaction, we welcomed our resident Purple Patch nutritionist, Kyla Chanel, and we went through some of the details and the granular principles that were very helpful. Well, we did the same with hydration. If you missed the episode from a couple of weeks ago, go back, because in that I go through from a coach's lens the way that I look at hydration, both in terms of training and racing, but also an area where a lot of athletes forget, which is daily life. Well, we thought we'd bring Kyla back. So Kyla, welcome. Thanks for having me. And this time we get to go a little deeper, a little more granular, and we get to go through two main things today. The first is what athletes want, need, and certainly are going to benefit from, which is training and racing hydration. I'm going to get some numbers. I'm going to go through some case studies and hopefully give some really strong takeaways for the listeners. But the second part that we want to go through today is is something that I think people miss a lot, which is daily life hydration as well. Right, yeah. And so we're going to get into the details. And what I thought we'd do is we'd go through some quickfire case studies as well, so that we can sort of try and integrate some habits and thoughts for the full spectrum, both for athletes that are more on the elite side and also maybe some beginners. Mm-hmm athletes doing sprint and Olympic distance type races or 5Ks and 10Ks all the way up to those marathon runners and dare I say it, those dirty Ironman athletes as well. (laughs) So so as I mentioned, remember that in part one, I went through all of the principles of hydration in both of the areas we're going to discuss today. So if you haven't listened to that, I'd really recommend going back. We're going to venture back to some of the details today, but I want the focus today to be all about actionable steps. Sound good? Yep. All right, let's see what we get. So, Kyla, the first thing we'll go off, we'll, we'll focus on is training and racing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we're specifically going to talk about endurance sports here. Mm-hmm. So, if you're a listener that loves to run a lot, ride your bike a lot, do triathlons of all distances, this is, this is for you. So, so, let's get cracking. Through your words, what do you see as the critical role of hydration in training and racing? Yeah. I mean, in racing and training, what we're really trying to do with hydration is keep our blood plasma volume up. When that blood plasma volume goes down, we that's when we start to see performance decline and, and issues in terms of uh, dehydration and cramping and things like that. So we want to keep that blood pa- plasma volume up. And that's also going to help with delivery of, of course, the nutrients that we're using as fuel to and delivery of the oxygen to the muscle tissue as well. And those, those, I mean, that's the the big role of blood, isn't it? And we, mm-hmm. we sort of, I talked about this in 
in the first episode, but I think it's worth listeners remembering that, that blood is, yes, a, a nutrient transporter. Right. And uh, dissipating heat, mm-hmm. obviously, blood to yes. skin and everything yep. like that, and, and ultimately helping with the absorption of calories. Mm-hmm. So if we, if we have less to go around, they're going to run into, right. into troubles, yeah, which is, yep. I think that's, that. I don't think that's understood um, very well by athletes. They sort of conceptually have an idea of hydration, but they mm-hmm. don't really understand why it's important right. in many ways. And and we're going to get into that a little bit later because we're going to talk about cramping. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about electrolytes. We're going to talk about uh, absorption of calories and things like that would become really important. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, simple terms, what are the biggest consequences of dehydration? And maybe we started to to cover it off, but really what's happening to the body and the, the system globally when, when you do get dehydrated. Yeah. When you're, I mean, when you're becoming dehydrated, that plasma volume is dropping. So you're, you're getting into a state where the fluid in your blood is not as high at a level as it was when you first started. Right. And then your blood becomes more thick or viscous Mm -hmm. and your heart's pumping harder to transport that thick blood. So when that starts to happen, you, of course, you're going to experience, you know, performance decline, you might experience muscle weakness, um, fatigue. Um, you know, if you start seeing, uh, you know, really dark urine or you stop sweating, that's like become a little bit too far into the dehydration status. Um, you know, fainting obviously is going to be a sign increased heart rate or higher than normal heart rate. Obviously you're pushing yourself in your training. You have a heart rate that you're probably trying to maintain under a certain point. If that's, you know, accelerating past a certain point and your things are feeling really challenging, that's going to be another sign of dehydration as well so so it's not just uh it's not just the fact that you're dropping blood volume so there's less to go around there's the competition but it's also that the blood is is tangibly getting thicker as it were or viscous so it's actually the your heart is having to beat harder per pump to actually get the same circulation rate yeah 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 and that's not fun (laughs) and and, and let's just go back a little bit on the the big signs and symptoms because Mm -hmm. i think that's that's helpful as well now i should point out that uh, when you start really experiencing the symptoms in a race, mm-hmm. uh, it's w- would you say in many ways it's too late? And I, I'm putting my parenthesis up there. Yeah, a little bit. Get my your finger air quotes. Yeah, my um, air quotes. Yeah, I, when you you can experience obviously a course of uh, a certain percentage of de- dehydration or body volume loss over the course of the race that is manageable, and then past a certain point, it becomes. Um, it's going to impact your performance. And of course it can be, become dangerous too. Yeah. So yeah, we have to keep an eye on that. And, and the big signs and symptoms of the ones that you mentioned, what should people really start to, as they're training, as they're, as they're racing, are there ones in there that you say, Hey, these are the really keep an eye out for the, either the most common ones or the mm-hmm. ones that are the clear signals. Yeah. I mean, well, headache and if you headache and confusion, and then like, like I said, if you get to the point where you're stop sweating, Yep. which I've heard happen before to obviously athletes is that's you've really passed the point, but those earlier signs are, you know, headache, um, confusion, your performance is starting to drop off. Those are things to watch for. Okay, great. And wh- when we think about dehydration, what what is the level so that we, you know, one of the things you mentioned was up to a certain point, there's no, it's manageable. Mm-hmm. There's no massive performance decline. So right. when, when, what sort of percentage dehydration do we start to think of as being a, um, as being a clear sort of performance decline? Is, is there a specific percentage? Or? Yeah. I mean, it is a percentage. Uh, so 
I have a little quote here from the, the Applied Journal of Physiology, but um, they said in one of their studies that when, dehydra- de- when dehydration exceeds 3% of total body water, so roughly 2% of the body's mass, then aerobic performance is consistently Im- impaired, independent, and additive to heat stress. So above 3%, and I think Matt had said 4% too in his previous podcast, you know, that's where we're that's where performance declines are, are being noticed. Okay. So so our game as coaches, nutritionists, athletes is to counter or try and uh, minimize the amount of time during competition that you're operating under three or four percent dehydration. Correct. That's the headline news. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the game. And we're going to get into the how in a second. Um, so, so what would you think are some of the the mistakes or points of confusion for an athlete, for endurance athletes, you work with such a broad range of athletes when they're approaching hydration. What are some of the the biggest points of confusion that you see? I think first off, so many people don't realize that the female and male GI system are different in their absorption rates and um, the fluid and electrolyte balances that they can utilize are different. I think that's a big one. Um, and that's something that is relatively new and getting out there. But I also, of course, get tons of athletes that come to me and are just drinking plain water during their training sessions and think that that's hydrating them mm-hmm. when in reality, it's really not. And you need a little bit of sodium and a little bit of sugar in there to help uh, co-transport that sodium in through the intestinal wall and it be absorbed. Um, well, then I get people who, of course, are on the opposite end of the spectrum and drinking things that are way too concentrated um, or just not drinking at all. And just going out, you know, particularly I find that in when with runs, like people who, when they go for really long runs, they just won't bring any fluids. Yeah. Um, so those are the common ones. And, you know, you talked about plain water, the subject that I have to bring up, mm-hmm. uh, hyponatremia, mm-hmm. uh, maybe mm-hmm. explain what hyponatremia is first. Yeah. And, and um, uh, because that, that's a hot topic, you know, mm-hmm. on, on the evangelism between drink to thirst and, right. and hyponatremia, you yeah. know, that's, uh, what, why didn't you talk about hyponatremia a little bit? Yeah. So hyponatremia is you're essentially, if you're drinking plain water while you're training or racing, you're diluting your blood electrolytes. And so your sodium levels are, are dropping off in comparison to the, the volume of water or fluid that's in your blood. So you have low sodium levels per volume of blood. Um, that tends to be more common in women and particularly women in either the high hormone phase or that are, are, have gone through menopause. So it's something to watch out for, for the ladies. Um, but yeah, that, that can absolutely happen. And if you get to that point while you're racing, it's, it's kind of, you're not going to fix that during the race. You're probably potentially ending up in the med tent, if you will. And you know, I, I'll remember, I, I remember a story a few years ago now, uh, and our English listeners will probably enjoy this very brief story, but uh, it, it can be very dangerous. You know, it's this in the laugh, but many, many people went to hospital. In fact, I think right. there was even one a person that passed away from hyponatremia mm-hmm. in just a half marathon in Newcastle a few years ago, yeah. uh, because it was extremely hot relative to local temperatures. It was a whole sixty-five mm. degrees and partly cloudy. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, we shouldn't be shouldn't we be laughing about right. a chat, but. Uh, but it's a, a very northern English thing, and uh, and they piled on recommendations of drink, 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 and mm-hmm. people took it very, very seriously and ended up yeah. in the med tent. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and that that can really happen. Uh, so, on the flip side of of sort of the hyponatremia, best intentions, recommendations by coaches, drink, 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 but mm-hmm. people just drinking. Hyponatremia occurs when you're consuming pure water right because you're adding to the dilution of your natural exactly yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
On the flip side, then there's uh, research, there's um, interesting research around drink to thirst, and there are evangelists that say, no matter what, mm-hmm. we have an evolutionary mechanism uh, that tells us that we should just dr- that that we are signaled when we are mm-hmm. becoming dehydrated. We should just listen to that. Right. What's your standing on that? That becomes a little bit tricky again when you are um, either a postmenopausal woman or a woman in a high hormone phase where your thirst sensation is dampened. So you can't utilize the drink to thirst rule in that type of scenario, you know, using a cue or a timer and kind of reminding yourself when to sip and drink is going to be really important if you're in that category. Okay. And what about people like me? I'm not, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not, men- I don't think I'm menopausal, but um, <laughs> uh, you know, is, is there a rule of thumb for me? Cause I can go out and run for 45 minutes yeah. and I don't need to have a hydration strategy right. for that. Do yeah. I? Yeah. I mean, if anything, you could use some plain water and anything really under 60 minutes, plain water is really fine. Um, you know, I would assume you're getting electrolytes obviously throughout the course of your day from your foods. And if you're salting any of your meals and things like that. So I think you'd be totally fine in 60 minutes or less with just plain water. Okay. And then, you know, when, when would you say there's a, is there a tipping point or a number of rule of thumb knowing that over a certain number of minutes or hours that you need to have a dedicated hydration strategy? Yeah. I mean, I would say over like things going over 60, 90 minutes, you know, using a hydration product um, for those types of trainings is going to be helpful in terms of your training performance for sure. Okay. Yeah. That's a great way to say it. It's yeah. helpful for your training <laughs> performance. So yeah, you're, you're, you're not going to end up in the med tent, but if right. you want to optimize your performance, it's useful to use a hydration product. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the, when you talk about hydration product, the ABCs of it are, uh, uh, some electrolytes in there, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of uh, sugar in mm-hmm. there, essentially. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is not to get calories, yeah? Right. Yeah, so you want your hydration to be separate from your fueling. So you're not trying to get your fuel from your hydration product. The the, the electrolytes in there and the, the, the calories that are in there, you don't even count them towards sort of a refueling strategy, yeah? I would not count them, no. You just The, the simple <laughs> reason is to help draw it across and exactly. ha- it absorb and actually mm-hmm. hydrate you at the cellular level. Yeah. yeah, so a little bit of sugar is required as kind of a, a little uh, a co-transporter for sodium to help pull it across the intestinal barrier. So if we can get a little bit of sugars in there to help kind of pair up with that sodium, pull it across the barrier. That would be a more effective way to get that sodium into your system to help keep that blood plasma volume up. Okay, let's talk about hydration goals a little bit because mm-hmm. th- this is something that I find many athletes don't understand. Uh, they um, they take the lens of a camel walking through the desert, mm-hmm. storing as much fluid as they possibly can. But when you're exercising, while hydration is important, you've established that mm-hmm. it's not a goal to retain full hydration status. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that you're going to come out on the other end of the race with some level of fluid loss. Um, You want to minimize those losses the best you can. If you were to try and completely um, come out, you know, with 0% uh, fluid loss, you'd, you'd probably be loading up your GI system with so much fluids that it would end up causing GI distress and you might not finish the race at all. Right. So, um, yeah, coming out with a little bit of fluid loss or, or percent dehydration is okay, but we want to minimize that. And again, um, you know, minimize being in that three to 4% dehydrated state. And that, that becomes, we'll get into this a little bit later, but it becomes more and more important or more of a thing to be managed the mm-hmm. longer the event or the training session becomes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
because you're 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 trying you're, to minimize it over many many hours right. sometimes yeah. you're sweating for a longer period of time that that makes sense and then coming back to electrolytes before we dive into our case studies mm-hmm. because it's such a such a, an important role and people with the emergence of of the sports nutrition companies, electrolytes have uh, have sort of bubbled up into people's psyche in many ways. So mm-hmm. explain what they are first and what their role is. Yeah. So our main electrolytes and the common ones you're going to see in hydration products are definitely going to be your sodium, potassium, maybe a little magnesium, and then we also have calcium and uh, the chloride ion as well. And the role of electrolytes in our body is really to maintain our fluid balance, but Things like uh, magnesium and calcium are also key components in muscular contraction too. So um, that's obviously something that's important. And then nerve impulse signaling is going to utilize some of those electrolytes as well in our body. So there's lots of key factors (laughs) for the electrolytes. And and it's not a case of more is better. It's it's a balance equation. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, you you can't just pile on and expect normal function. Right. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. You don't want to top out. And something like uh, magnesium calcium ratios, if those get out of whack, for example, you have more or less than the other that that can cause muscle spasming or cramping as well. So you want to have, you know, a proper ratio of those in your system. What, yeah. So can, can you address the, the topic of electrolytes and cramps? Because I think the <laughs> only reason that people think they're taking electrolytes is to stave off cramps. And that, yeah. that comes to them becoming foie gras geese with right. electrolyte pills. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, the research is shaky and uh, there, there is no research around right. uh electrolytes preventing cramps yeah yeah there's no we haven't found the exact reasoning behind muscle cramps um we there's a lot of studies out there of course and the main culprit for the longest time was that um you know, you know, sodium levels were, were the reasoning or um dehydration was the reasoning and then athletes are going to pop a salt tablet or a salt pill and that can end up exasperating the issues sure. um so we we know that there's some relation in terms of plasma volume dropping and muscle cramping, but we still don't have that full. Um, there's not the study out yet that has that exact like reasoning for us yet. So we're waiting on that one. In my take from a coaching lens, I mean, there's also some interesting studies or at least uh, investigations used mm-hmm. to say around, you know, is it potentially neural as well? And there's right. a component of that. And mm-hmm. It's one of those things, how do you, what's the cause of an injury? Mm-hmm. And and it's seldom one cause that creates an injury. You right. know, it could be changing running surface. It could be shifting form. It could be old shoes. It could be just overall totally. stress and fatigue. It seems to me like it could be, there are contributing factors of what causes a spasm or cramp. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. It's probably not just one right. flag every single time. And we don't understand yeah. uh, yet what it is. So what that leads to, though, is... And, and one thing I should mention as well is straight dehydration doesn't necessarily mean cramps. Right, exactly. Yeah. I think every athlete is really unique in really when they're cramping and their muscles are potentially spasming and trying to dial in, like, when is that cramp coming on? Um, you know, where, if it's a female, where are you in your hormone cycle? How is your hydration? Like, all those factors need to be taken into consideration when trying to kind of nail down what's causing that cramp for that individual. So, do athletes always need exogenous electrolytes in their training and racing? I would say no, and not under, I mean, anything under 60 minutes. There, Like I said, um, there's no need for electrolytes during something like that. And again, like on the, the salt tablet issue, if you have your normal hydration product that you're using and is mixed properly for you, 
you don't need to add in any additional salt tablets or things like that to your current electrolyte intake. You so, sh- so shouldn't need to. <laughs> so it should just come through our fluids and then some the calories that you're going to consume will obviously have some electrolytes in right. as well, won't they? People mm-hmm. people don't realize that. Right. If yeah. you're consuming chews or blocks, that, right. you know, etc. But so is there a rule of thumb of uh, how many electrolytes should be consumed? So I think finding, again, that proper ratio for, if you can, gender-specific would be great. But um, you do want, specifically with the carbohydrates, you want something that's uh, around a 3 to 4% um, concentration of, of carbohydrate in your solution. So that means um, 7 to 9 grams of carbohydrates per 8 ounces of fluid. So check your labels for that one. Um, and can, you w- can you just restate that again? Yeah. <laughs> how, how, many, how many grams per? 7 to 9 grams okay. of a carbohydrate. Per how many? ounces per eight ounces and ideally coming from a glucose sucrose sugar sources as opposed to fructose or maltodextrin okay um would be ideal for For your hydration Mm -hmm. fluid okay and 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 then how much uh for sodium sodium, you you can shoot in a range for 180 to 225 um it can vary slightly you know plus or minus a little bit above that and below it, depending on the environment um, that you're racing in. And then some potassium somewhere in the range of 60 to 75 milligrams in that same solution. So in that eight ounces. Per, per eight ounces. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, so if you've got a 20 ounce water bottle, you're, you're getting close to right. multiplying that by three. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. So I noticed you uh, you said a range there with some of the, the electrolytes. So there, are there dependencies on the amount of electrolytes, like relative to things like whether it's hot, whether it's cold, mm-hmm. duration, intensity, anything like that? Yeah. I mean, if you're in a warmer climate or a humid climate, really above 75 degrees, you are going to be sticking to the higher end in terms of fluid intake per hour. So um, typically it's 10 to 12 milliliters per kilogram body weight per hour. So you'd be on that higher end range for something like that in a warmer climate. And then 75 degrees and below, you can stick to that lower end range. So it's amount of fluid relative to your body weight. So it scales right. for, for everyone. Now, so 10 to 12 milliliters per kilogram. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. per, per hour, sorry. 10 yeah. to 12 milliliters per kilogram. So that that makes sense to me. I'm English. How about right. you put it in old money? How you put it? How about you put it in real real terms? Yeah, pounds and ounces. <laughs> pounds and ounces. Um, Come on. So that's going to be somewhere in the range of 0.1 to 0.18 ounces per pound body weight per hour. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. 0.1 to 0.18. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's a it's a range. It's right. a real range of mm-hmm. uh, of stuff. Now, you mentioned earlier menopausal women let's go to gender specific mm-hmm. uh, considerations men okay. men versus women and you know, one of the frustrations that you see so much whether it's uh, manufacturing of bikes whether it's mm-hmm. you know or, almost anything in the sport is it's always seems to be designed and the recommendations are wrapped around mm-hmm. men right and um and a, a large percentage of, uh, of the population that are athletes are obviously women right thank goodness so Give us, let, let's dive into the, the specifics around uh, men and women. Yeah. I mean, so originally, um, electrolyte companies, obviously, they were basing their studies off of studies that were done on men. And since we had, you know, Dr. Stacey Sims come into the scene here and do some research, um, you know, she was able to do much more research on women, which was fantastic to get some information there. So, you know, women 
depending on where they are in their hormone cycle, if they are still having a period and they're in that high hormone phase or the one to two weeks leading up to the start of their period, they're going to have, they're going to be, their core temperature is going to be running a little hotter. So they're going to have a harder time with heat um, and heat stress. And then they actually have less total body sodium because of elevated progesterone is going to be kicking out that um, sodium out of their body. And then they're going to have um, a decreased thirst response, which we mentioned earlier there. Um, and all of these can actually predispose the woman to hyponatremia, which was something we kind of touched on a little bit earlier as well. So it's something to um, consider as a woman and, and depending on where you are in your cycle, if you're you know, racing and training to kind of consider those factors and make sure that you are really focusing on your hydration. If you are in that high hormone phase, it's, it's even more important for you to maintain that hydration and that plasma volume up. Um, and that will help the performance there for the, the female athlete. And, and that's, you know, maintaining your hydration and, and I guess really important that you're maintaining that hydration with a proper hydration beverage. Probably, right. Yeah. Exactly. But, yeah. But potentially, even if you're 60 minutes or less, it's just mm-hmm. worth, you know, uh, getting the glucose sucrose combination mm-hmm. with sodium just because you're 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 under that additional stress. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, and the ultimate truth is if if if. You know, I mean, we can't time when the races are often, but but the truth is, and I've worked with athletes where this has been a a huge point of emotional and physical stress of mm-hmm. having to go and do a very hot, hot uh, Ironman, such as the Hawaii Ironman, right? In the week leading up or the week of, yeah, the time of the month, and that's uh, that's not optimal for performance, is right. it? Right? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 going to be challenging, that's for sure, and and just in aspects of hydration as well as aspects of their fueling as well. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let, let's go into some case studies as promised. Let's, uh, let's right. go through some general guidelines and, uh, and we talked about the 10 to 12 milliliters mm-hmm. per kilogram. I, I guess someone that doesn't like to do math, if you're, if you're 150 pounds, mm. how many ounces are you drinking? Well, I have an example for 135 pound female. All right. Give me 135 <laughs> pounds then. Um, 135 pound female for the 0.1 to 0.18 ounce per pound per hour is roughly in the range of 20 to 30 ounces per hour. Okay. So they're consuming, and and if we apply that to bottles, they're drinking a bottle and a half Mm -hmm. per hour typically, up to two bottles an hour, Mm -hmm. depending on your size of your bottle. So so there's a lot of hydration Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. getting up there. Uh, What about timing? Because you can say, okay, drink x number x number of ounces in a day mm-hmm. in general hydration drink x number per per hour but is there a better way that uh you know is it better to start each hour with a whole bottle or is it or do you want to drink um, yeah. a micro, micro little swig every 30 seconds <laughs> obviously i'm being Finding, facetious yeah. but, uh, but what's what's the timing if you can find a balance in between those two, two yeah. things revolutionary well done yeah um so yeah you don't want to hit the hour mark and just guzzle down a, an entire bottle that's going to cause probably a little bit of GI upset going on there. Um, so if you can do small frequent sips throughout the course of the hour, you know, every 10, 15 minutes, um, if you, again, if you're a high in the high hormone phase, female or menopausal female, having a little timer to remind you to, to sip, um, you know, frequently on that 10 or 15 minute mark will be helpful to kind of get your fluids down. Awesome. And, and you're not a fan of people, having their bottles basically be the source of calories, as you mentioned earlier. So what's your challenge with those that have high calories, high caloric replenishment within the Mm -hmm. confounds of the bottle? So I'm sort of mixing it with hydration. Right. I challenge you there. What is the challenge? So what 
they're and what they end up doing when they're just adding essentially usually it's a lot of carbohydrates that they're adding to their electrolyte product or sometimes it's coming as both um what ends up happening is you're you're making this extremely concentrated fluid source for your system and it's going into your gi system highly concentrated which can't be pulled across the intestinal barrier yet. So what your body has to do while it's in this working state is redirect the fluids from that working muscle tissue to go back to the the small intestine, push some um, water across the intestinal barrier to now dilute this concentrated bolus of this product that you've put down your your, uh, mouth. And then it can be diluted to a concentration that can then essentially be pulled across the intestinal barrier. But meanwhile, you're pulling oxygen from the blood and and all of that back towards the intestine which is of course problematic in terms of your performance so it's, it's better just to take in a a easily absorbed hydration source correct i guess a way to think about it is that closely matches your blood chemistry exactly is that a yeah. way to think about it yeah so, so your blood concentration or osmolality is in the range of like 275 to 295 milliosmol milliosmoles so you want a product a lot of product hydration products are starting to note their osmolality concentration on their product which is good but you still want to consider the sugars again that are in there because some sugars they can be used for a um osmolality to to keep the osmolality down but are still not absorbed well in the small intestine once they get there like maltodextrin for example all right let's start to edge towards racing Mm -hmm. and uh let's talk about before racing first and Mm -hmm. one of my favorite things to do is walk around expos and see people with water bottles strapped to their arms pumping themselves full of fluids let's talk about the concept of hyperhydration before racing good Mm -hmm. good thing bad thing i think there's like everything, there's a, there's a caveat or there's a time and a place that it can be utilized. So I think, again, if you are a female that's in that high hormone phase leading up to the race and your sodium um, levels are down and your plasma volume is down, utilizing something where you're hyperhydrating leading up can be beneficial mm-hmm. um, and help to keep that blood plasma volume up. I think if you are used to training in the snow and temperatures below, you know, 50 degrees, and then you're going to race in Kona, um, utilizing something to make sure that your hydration status is up to par for something like that, I think can absolutely be beneficial. But again, there's always a time and a place for something like that. Yeah, if you're if you're heading to your local race, uh, it doesn't mean that you have to suddenly drink eight 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 bottles of fluid the right. day before. That's 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 just placing stress on the system, yeah. isn't it? Especially if it's plain water, you might just be diluting yourself before. <laughs> Which happens a lot, and uh, and and going from there. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, so let's do the quick hits. Let's go through quick hit numbers. And we'll try and get through, you know, a few case studies, three or four case studies that we can talk about to say, hey, this is what you should do. So Mm -hmm. I think we covered it a little bit. But case study number one, training or racing 60 minutes or less. Yeah. And so this might be your 5K, 10K for many, mm-hmm. uh, going out for a run, a, a 60 minute spin class, three to five bullet points on hydration. Ready, go. Okay. Um, you can drink to thirst mm-hmm. with water and you should be fine there. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, and anything else to avoid or think about? I think... Again, if you're a woman in that high hormone phase, if it is a little bit more strenuous, you know, having a little bit reminder for that drinking. Um, But I think, again, under an hour, it's not going to be hugely problematic for you or, you know, um, hinder your performance greatly. 
Perfect. All right. Let's let's go to case study number two, interval session. So this is something, it's a very tough session. You might be going a little bit longer. This might be one of your running track sessions for 75 minutes or a two-hour bike ride with heavy intervals, mm-hmm. three to five bullets on hydration, amount, time, and type, anything else to avoid. Yeah. Ready, go. So again, you're going to want to properly mix hydration products. So following the you know instructions on the package guidelines in terms of water to powder ratio, right? And then frequent sips. So every 10 to 15 minutes, like mentioned pre- uh, previously. And then again, the 10 to 12 milliliters per kilogram body weight per hour uh, recommendation or that 0.1 to 0.1. 0.18 ounces per pound per hour. Um, and of course you can stick to the higher end if you're training or training in a much hotter environment, um, or the intensity is really high. Um, you can stick to that lower end range for a colder, um, environment. Okay. Perfect. And, and anything else to avoid in these types of sessions, I guess plain water would be yeah. one. Yeah. So you do, this is when you want to start transitioning to the hydration product and not the plain water. So again, avoid the plain water and you don't want to be gulping things down. So try and stick to that timing interval when you've been window of uh, small frequent sips throughout the course. Something you said earlier, it's it, this, this scenario reminds me of uh, the people that say to me, I'm fine on four hours sleep a night. It's mm-hmm. like, yes, you are surviving, but are you thriving? <laughs> Right. So it's very similar, like a, a, a very, very hard 90-minute bike trainer workout. Mm-hmm. It's about your optimal performance of that workout. Right. And this is why we bring in the hydration beverage exactly. yeah. globally. So Because I get away with drinking pure water. Right. But am I actually maximizing yeah. my performance? Exactly. So let's go long. The long endurance ride, three hours mm-hmm. to, goodness me, nine hours, 10 hours, whatever you want <laughs> here, yeah? So we still keep the same ratio of fluids, mm-hmm. yeah? Yeah, I would keep a similar ratio as the the previous example. Um, the only thing that would vary here is potentially trying to shoot for maybe the higher end range of the fluid intake in, initially, and then potentially tapering down towards the end, um, if you'd like. Okay, and is that, 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 that becomes more based on fin? Is that because of absorption, absorption decline? Yeah, or? and... And it's a little um, maybe practice for race too. So mm-hmm. if we're kind of trying to simulate a race environment where you're not running in this case study, but if you were to be transitioning to a run, your hydration requirements are going to um, drop once you transition to the run. So you can kind of play with that during your trainings. And and the other the other thing the thing you said there is start out on the high end, which is the opposite of the practice of so many people, where mm-hmm. they go through the first hour and a half and they look down and say. Crikey, I've only drank half a bottle, you know, and I think that's a really important habit to get into that word habit, automation, really important. So, yeah, starting out on the high end and then tailing off versus people wait till they get thirsty and thirsty, the signs and symptoms come and then they're chasing the tail. Mm -hmm. So same thing again, it's properly mixed hydration every 10 to 15 minutes Mm -hmm. and... um, and I'd say this is this is the place that we really want to start to avoid the the overly concentrated hydration choices because right. yeah, of GI distress later, I'm assuming. Yeah. I mean, a lot of when we're doing our longer rides, I know a lot of people are riding out on the weekend and passing by all kinds of little cute pastry shops and uh, who knows, 7-Elevens and things like that. So like trying to avoid your super concentrated, you know, either soda juice thing or um, Gatorade or something like that from the stores, you know would be in your favor so long as you have your properly mixed hydration available for you, you know, not doing things like that would be in your favor. And if you, let's get practical, uh, because this is my life if, uh, when I do get to ride outside, mm-hmm. which is at training camps, but, um, 
let's get practical for those that you know they leave and they they leave their little packets of their special hydration so now they're they're two hours away from home or an hour away from home and they run out of hydration what do you do when you do go to the gas station because mm-hmm. by then you don't want to be drinking water at the same time you don't right. want to be drinking a regular sports drink with eight percent yeah solution is it, is it a, a case of just cutting it to a third high you know a third sports drink what what's your rule of thumb there you you could dilute a sports drink if you wanted or you can do a plain water and add like a salt packet from i don't know their hot dog station or wherever sure. get a little packet of salt or something like that um in your water and that would suffice um to kind of get you through the, the rest of your um, longer training session Oh, super. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and then racing, mm-hmm. Olympic distance. Let's mm-hmm. go sprint and Olympic distance. So shorter yeah. end of the duration, S- yeah. similar ratio. Uh, I would keep the, in terms of the requirements per hour, I would keep them, you know, keep that range still there. But again, um, kind of playing with that range, depending on what the humidity is like, what the temperature is like, what are you at elevation to? That's another issue in terms of hydration and blood plasma levels. Um, and trying to sip, you know, again, frequently 10 to every 10 to 15 minutes, um, with that properly mixed hydration product with a more elite athlete on the, on the, the, you know, the really fast thing that that are going close to or under two hours, uh, 55 degree day, they're racing. They're pretty close to being able to drink to thirst on that. Yeah, I would think so. And again, so long as it's not a woman in those, that consideration of that high hormone or postmenopausal range. And then of course, when you get to that run, the run after you transition from the bike. So again, starting out on the higher end, if you can with the hydration on the bike and then um, dropping to the, a little bit of the lower end when you transition to the run. Okay. And mm-hmm. and now let's move to the the longer duration stuff. And mm-hmm. we'll stick to triathlon on this. We'll go to the half Ironman or Ironman 70.3 distance. Mm-hmm. This is where it becomes slightly, I think it's the first time it's slightly different rules on bike and run, yeah? Mm-hmm. Because part, part of the, part of, or, or no, you tell me. I mean, it's it's a good question because it's obviously longer yeah. than a sprint or an Olympic. So you're, you still want a properly mixed hydration product mm-hmm. and you still want to sip frequently and hit your recommendations per hour. But it, as the races get longer, hydration becomes more and more important, right? Because you're spending more time out there, um, you know, at an increased core temperature and you're sweating for a longer period of time and you're trying to minimize those losses. And again, with that three to 4% dehydration at the end of the race, we're trying to, to minimize that. So it just should become more of a focus on your mind and making sure that you are staying on top of that. Absolutely, and uh, but but you're able to absorb less when you're running, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And from a coach's end, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, and, and feel free, and uh, and then I can feel silly when I uh, have to go back to all my athletes and tell them that I was wrong. But I, I would rather do that and and be uh, if if I am wrong. But a lens that I always talk about in half Ironman, but particularly Ironman distance, mm-hmm. is. The hydration that you're doing on the uh, on the bike is to ensure that you're starting the run not too dehydrated. Right. Yeah. And I think too, when we transition onto something like the run, whether it's um, you know someone who's taking a, um, maybe over five hours to do a seventy point three or a full Ironman type of uh, situation, when you're on that run, transitioning from you know doing your hydration product maybe the first half of the run, and then you might be transitioning to sips of water, and then every other aid station a sip of Coke or something like that. Water and Coke, mm-hmm. the uh, liquid gold there. Right. That's, uh, 
Let, let's uh, and then Ironman is there when you go when you do go really long. I guess is is there anything else because the game stays the same with ratios mm-hmm. and going through. Is there anything else to to offer an Ironman? I would say potentially doing the um, hyperhydration kind of protocol before something like an Ironman can be beneficial in terms of, you know, you're being out there and sweating for a longer period of time than you've probably done in any of your training sessions. So making sure that those sodium stores are topped off going into the race can be beneficial for can, that plasma volume. Can, one of the things I think I skipped over there is that, is there a rule of thumb and maybe bring it down to practice how many bottles are you consuming throughout the day or how much extra relative to your regular daily hydration mm. that we're just going to get into? What is hyperhydration? How much should people be drinking? Yeah, so you can do about... 10 milliliters per kilogram body weight per hour. I do not, I did not convert that one to ounces and pounds. That's okay. Sorry. Um, but, uh, yeah, 10 milliliters per kilogram body weight per hour of a hyperhydration product the day before. And so a hyperhydration product is just going to have a much more concentrated, um, level of sodium, right? And okay. so the sodium is just helping pull the water into the body and, and maintain it, maintain it in the body as opposed to if you're just sipping plain water and, and you know, peeing that out. Yeah. And, and your body's not under stress. So, uh, when you consume right. that, so it's the absorption right. is very, very high. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's finish off with management. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've given some pretty in-depth case studies. Let's talk about actual practical tips on, on management as well. What, what are the, what are the signs that you may be consuming too much mm-hmm. relative to your intensity, relative to what's going on? What, what do you feel? What do you do if you're consuming too much? And what are the signs? How do yeah. people know that they're over-consuming? So if you're consuming too much, you're probably experienced, like you might be burping, the fluid might be taking much longer to leave your stomach or um, that kind of sloshing in your gut kind of feeling because you're consuming fluids faster than your system can you know, make it exit and leave the stomach and then get pulled down into the small intestine and out of the small intestine into the blood and be moved around the body. Um, so things like that would be things to look for. And then if that is the case, you know, slow down your, um, hydration intake for a period of time and see if you can manage that. If it's causing GI distress, utilizing something like Tums, uh, like, ideally as a preventative mechanism, but, um, you know, if you can tolerate a Tums at that point, you can utilize a Tums for that. It's not necessarily going to speed up the, um, you know, fluids leaving your stomach, but it might ease the discomfort there. Do you think people should take a Tums in racing period if they experience that, if they experience GI distress globally, is that a good thing to add in? I think that if, if they are someone who is having GI issues, quite often and they've worked on the food choices from our, our fueling and nutrition podcast and they've um, worked on their hydration and found a proper hydration product and they're still experiencing issues. Um, I think utilizing a Tums can be beneficial as a preventative because um, I know the GI issues can really change. Yeah, yeah, it can just um, wreck your your race. So um, utilizing it as a preventive mechanism is not going to harm you in any way. The calcium and uh, magnesium in a Tums can actually, they are our electrolytes as well and can help um, just add a little bit more electrolytes to the system there. Okay. So earlier we talked about signs of too little hydration, but if you start to have some of those symptoms, you know, a bit of confusion, a bit of headaches, you mm-hmm. have dry mouth and things like that, 
my tendency would be like, goodness me, give me a bottle and just start downing. So, so what's right. the action to take if you do start to feel like you're behind? Yeah. If you are behind and you're noticing those signs, you know, doing a, having your properly mixed hydration product, right. And then sipping small frequent sips and again, not guzzling down a huge gulps of it, because again, that's going to be harsh on the GI system as well. On top of you feeling dehydrated and having a headache and things like that. So try and get a slow rehydration going into, in, back into your body really which is really when you are under the stress of of racing particularly mm-hmm. you just you really want to avoid getting into that state right yeah so, so having a real plan and saying up front and getting going early and not getting yourself in that situation is point exactly. number one yeah it's all preventative <laughs> so something that happens to, to sort of finish off the racing and training something that happens a lot is athletes losing bottles mm-hmm. they go over a bumpy road and boom yep. like, oh my race was ruined i lost my bottle mm-hmm. but uh So a couple of things on that. Number one, what happens if they lose their specific hydration Mm -hmm. on a race course? Mm -hmm. And uh, number two, how do do you get people to carry all this stuff? (laughs) (laughs) If you can do, um, you know, keeping the powdered like single serve packets um, on you, that can be obviously helpful in terms of instead of having tons and tons of bottles all filled up perfectly rationed out, um, you know, doing some single serves can be helpful if you fully lose your single serves or you fully lose your hydration bottles. And there is obviously on course hydration, the kind of go-to would be alternating or diluting their hydration product. Typically, typically because the hydration products that tend to be offered on course are pretty concentrated. Yeah. yeah. Way too concentrated for the GI. So diluting that um, a little bit can be helpful. I think that one of the valuable tips from a more coach's lens is the, the, the invention of the between aero bars for triathletes Mm -hmm. you know the the um the upfront hydration systems because those are easy to fill and you can put a little bit of sports drink in there Mm -hmm. and dilute it with water it's easy to fill up with your single surf packets and dilute it from water off the course Mm -hmm. rather than a closed sealed you're not going to ride no hands and unscrew the top and things like that so i think that's a real (laughs) tool in the toolbox Mm -hmm. for, for athletes to use in fact i'm always confused why athletes don't have that if Mm -hmm. they if they have the opportunity to do that so i can't resist i have to ask you this question and uh and i think most people that are listening to me especially those that have done half ironman and ironman racing maybe marathons Mm coca-cola athletes love it in fact in my time (laughs) as coaches as a coach i've i've never had an athlete that's had a bad experience when the lights have gone out Mm -hmm. that we haven't given them coke and uh and Boom! Yeah, it's uh, it is liquid gold. <laughs> so what what's what is it? Do you, what is it behind that particularly? Because there are other other drinks like Red Bull, etc. But it doesn't. People, it, Coke seems to be the mm-hmm. magic elixir. So so what is it about Coca Cola? Yeah, because it's poison in life, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Let's face it. yeah. You don't want to be drinking that just while you're sitting at your desk working. Um, but yeah, the the Coca Cola is going to. It really is just quick digesting sugars and so quick digesting that they can be broken down and utilized as soon as it hits your tongue really and in your mouth. And so that's sending just a quick hit of, um, or increase in blood glucose so we can utilize it in this kind of a spike and uptick in energy and, um, really muscle energy to utilize while we're racing. So that's kind of the, um, fueling side of it. I think a lot of athletes too, when they go from that transition of the bike to the run, and there is a little bit of either stomach upset or something like that. The carbonation from the Coke can be, um, can ease that a little bit. So, sure. um, yeah, that's the, 
the cold, the cold for you. <laughs> when I guess the, the rule of thumb, if you remember nothing else from this hydration and you haven't had this lesson before, if the lights go out in your mm-hmm. racing, Coca Cola, yeah, and you mix can it use and Coca Cola water, Coca Cola right. water, alternating works every forth. time. It's your it's your sort of little uh, turbo mm-hmm. as it is in your race performance. So let's move to daily life, and uh, we'll we'll. We'll take it outside because there are two parts. There's everything that you're doing that we talked about. We talked a lot about special hydration beverages and number of milliliters per kilogram, etc. But you're going to finish most of your your session slightly dehydrated or mm-hmm. dehydrated uh, by definition. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about the key kind of takeaways of the importance of hydration in daily life. Yeah, um, I think, I mean, in terms of daily hydration, shooting for about half your body weight in ounces um, throughout the rest of the day. So that's not including fluids consumed, obviously during your training is a good goal. And um, if you are, you know, salting some of your meals or consuming any meals out, usually those are highly salted. If you're eating out at a restaurant or ordering food, you know, to go or things like that, um, you're probably getting a good amount of sodium in your diet or if you're eating anything packaged really. Um, So that will, help continue to rehydrate, rehydrate you. You can salt, um, you know, like watery fruits and vegetables Mm -hmm. to help get, pull in the, um, fluid and the sodium there to help rehydrate over the course of the day. But yeah, happy something like a watermelon there with a little bit of salt on it. Watermelon. Yeah. That sounds quite good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, I mean, that's, it has several roles. Let's get pretty basic as well. I think Mm -hmm. let's take a step back. The the role of hydration. I mean, we know that we, Mm -hmm. we die after a few days if we don't have hydro, but what, but it's not just about keeping alive. It's still about Mm-hmm. life performance yeah so right. what, what's the role of, uh, yeah. of water so water is going to or or our body is made up of water for quite quite a huge percentage of it and so we need that to cause the different reactions to within our our body so all the molecules and different reactions are occurring in this fluid um, space, which is made up particularly of water. And so we need it for that means, but we also need to keep that blood plasma volume up to deliver oxygen and deliver nutrients to the working muscle, um, tissue. We need the oxygen, sorry, the blood plasma volume up to pull away like waste being, um, carried away from either damaged muscle tissue or inflammation markers or things like that. So it can be helpful in those ways as well. Well, okay. Drinks, um, drinking in water. I mean, you're, you're not needing globally when you're consuming specific hydration beverages. You don't necessarily need to buy mm-hmm. your daily hydration. Yeah, you talked about that with mm-hmm. uh, with salting food and drinking yeah. water mostly. But what about drinks that you should avoid? Yeah. I think this is really important. These are the no-go areas, yeah. Right. I mean, those super sweetened, sugary beverages I would think are totally unnecessary outside of really training and um, really – outside of Coke in terms of racing, really. Um, so, you know, things that are adding sugars there, whether it's fruit sugars or, um, you know, your glucose, your high fructose for corn syrup, things like that is just really unnecessary. Um, the other thing I see is a lot of athletes get bored of plain water and mm-hmm. they want to flavor it somehow. And so they're adding these water flavors that are sweetened actually with sugar alcohols, which can disrupt your gut microbiome. So that's not the best thing to do either. Um, if you are bored of your plain water, you know, doing either a squeeze of a lemon or throwing a mint leaf in there or something like that can help to like change the flavor for you and, and keep you from getting bored of plain water, if you will. The other thing I see as well, quite, you know, I think it's easy for people to understand, okay, Coke, Pepsi, uh, Sprite, mm-hmm. Mountain Dew, 
you know, that that's obviously sugar laden, but there mm-hmm. are also a bunch of drinks mm-hmm. and we won't name names, but there are a bunch of drinks that people don't realize have effectively the same amount of of sugar as a Coke. Mm-hmm, it's basically mm-hmm. a, a Coke that's in fancy packaging. So right. I think people should be really, really aware of that. Mm-hmm, and yeah. That, that's empty calories. And Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're just pouring in your, you know, you're spiking your blood glucose levels, which is causing your pancreas to send out insulin to pull that away because you're not utilizing it because you're just sitting at your desk working and using it as kind of a, uh, mental boost, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then the, you know, once that glucose gets pulled out of the blood, you're having now a crash probably. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it's going and putting that and storing it as probably body fat because you're not utilizing it because you're not exercising. And, um, yeah, there's not a lot of benefits to sitting around and drinking those sugary beverages. And, and yes, that becomes really important at the most practical level. You don't have to understand the physiology, but you, what you do need to understand is, is the practical implications. So drinking those drink those types of beverages might give you a short spike, but you are going to get very f- fatigued mm-hmm. with poor uh, ability to think critically, mm-hmm. uh, poor decision-making scope, poor ability to focus mm-hmm. very shortly after consuming them. And then, of course, all of those calories that have given you that initial jolt mm-hmm. are just going to be stored as fat. Right. And, and- that- that sugar cycle starts to repeat itself. So then you crash and then you want that spike in energy again to help with your focus and your like performance at work or something. And so then you go and grab another one and the cycle just turns into a huge snowball effect. Now, the storing as fat, I think it's really important to understand when you are operating uh, in training or racing that's been utilized to right. fuel. And so it's a, that's the reason that we, we really separate fueling and, uh, fueling and nutrition, but also in a hydration, we have to divide the two because mm-hmm. if, you are, if you are lights out and mm-hmm. you are in the middle of an Ironman, you consume a Coke, that's, not getting, that's getting straight burned. That's like putting right. paper on a fire. Yeah? yeah, and your muscles are at a more, they have a higher ability to uptake glucose. So the receptor sites have come to the top of the cell service to help pull in more sugars, essentially. So you're in a better state for that at that point when you're exercising. Fantastic. Now, two more things. Uh, two of my favorite things. We'll go through caffeine. Give me, <laughs> give me your thoughts on caffeine. Um, we all love caffeine. Um, but in terms of like daily consumption of caffeine, I think that um, you know stopping that caffeine intake probably around one or two, depending on what time you typically go to bed and wake up can be beneficial in terms of your sleep and sleep obviously is really important for our recovery. Um, it was long thought that and discussed that caffeine was a diuretic. Um, from my understanding, the recent studies are saying that it was actually a volume issue. That's why you're peeing more really. So we don't really look at it, look at it as much as a diuretic now, but, um, it is something to consider in terms of the stimulatory effects and your sleep. And then in terms of performance, if you're utilizing caffeine on course in t- with your fluids or even it from food sources, I recommend, you know, holding off the best you can towards the end of the race to utilize that caffeine. To, so you have an effect from the caffeine later sure. on when you're kind of really low in energy, if you will. Now the, 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 the last question and, and I'm English, so be, be careful on me here. <laughs> Alcohol. <laughs> Specifically beer for me, but uh, we don't want to say no here, yeah, because uh, it's uh, I, I'm not a fan of trying to get people to live like monks, mm-hmm. but um, but give me your thoughts on our alcohol yeah. through a performance lens. Yeah, I think, I, yeah, people aren't going to stop drinking alcohol or caffeine, but I think it's important just to be aware of the effects.
effects that it's physiologically um, having on your body and in terms of your performance. So, I mean, alcohol is a diuretic as opposed to caffeine. <laughs> it's yep. not right. Um, so alcohol will dehydrate you. Um, it's also going to impact your sleep. So consuming, I know a lot of people will go maybe for a big race and then they'll be like, yay, we're done. Like let's have beers. And, um, that's fun probably in the moment, but you're impairing your body's ability to recover and further dehydrating yourself. So, um, it's just something to be mindful of. And, you know, if you're going to have your alcoholic beverages, you know, try and have them on a day, maybe when your training's really light and it's not going to impact your recovery and you don't have to get up really early the next morning sure. for a training session. I think in weekly, in weekly living, uh, alcohol becomes a, a really big factor during the week mm-hmm. when we're getting up and we're trying to integrate training into a really busy life and focus all day on on you know, for many people some some really task focused stuff mm-hmm. you know work basically and I think if people can really avoid or limit alcohol during the week that, right. that's a, at least a great first right. habit change Absolutely. isn't it and and that is always a direct impact on uh, on sleep, mm-hmm. which is a in itself a direct impact on your ability to focus during the day and mm-hmm. certainly performance of your sessions right. becomes mm-hmm. really, really important. So super. Now, there was a lot of information in there. Yeah. Uh, one of the things we're going to do, and, and thank you for doing this, Kyla, you've put together a, a little bit of a cheat sheet for people that's yes. going to summarize some of this. So uh, you can head to, to Purple Patch Fitness. We'll add the link in the show notes and you can head there Kyla's done a, a little package around this to help you navigate your way through. And uh, and so if you'd like to do that, you just have to head to Purple Patch Fitness. Again, the link will be in the show notes and you can go there and get a, a free review of this. Uh, I'll say we've got some pretty good information in the Fast Track Triathlete on hydration as well, which you can enjoy. And if you want to learn more or, or get a personalized session with Kyla, uh, just head to Purple Patch Fitness and head to services and you can get a consultation where we can dig into really each individual individual athlete's needs and uh, specific sort of details around racing or of course daily life as you go but Kyla thank you very much I know that we're going to have more episodes in the future we're going to do a whole episode with you on nutrition fueling and hydration specifically for women awesome. I'm going to do that in the in the coming weeks so um so we can look forward to that I think that's uh, going to be very very important and empowering for so many But uh, thank you for being here today. Always appreciate you coming. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Bye. Well, guys, the one thing that I think we've done pretty good service to, the big pillar of nutrition. So remember a few weeks ago, it was me, myself, and I. Go back and listen to that, all about nutrition and fueling. And then we invited Kyla in, and we did a deep dive with some granular tips around those two topics. A couple of weeks ago, I gave my perspective on hydration and how it's valuable and so important for athletes during and, of course, outside of training itself. Today, thank you, Kyla. We got granular. I hope that you have some tips and some practical steps that you can integrate into your life and, of course, into your training and racing. We know there's more. We know there's a lot more. Feel free to grab a session with Kyla. If not, just go to the cheat sheet. It's in the program notes. It's free. It's accessible. It's shareable. Go and enjoy. Until next time, we're going to dive deep into strength and conditioning, a little bit more into recovery, and we've got some more great guests on the road. So until next time, enjoy. Take care, guys. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. We'd love it if you would review, subscribe, rate, and share. Thanks.